the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Mike O'Brien and Mike Tipton. Mike Tipton is the Vice President of Produce and Floral at Schnuck Markets, and Mike O'Brien actually held that same role for 15 years before moving to the supply side, where he is now the Vice President of Sales and Business Development at Monterey Mushrooms. We all got to catch up recently at the retail conference in Chicago, and I thought it'd be fun for us to continue some of the conversation there about what's happening in produce retail and how grocers can adapt with the future in mind. So Mike and Mike, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here, Ashley. Glad to be on with Mike Tipton, my friend from Snooks. Same here, Ashley. Glad to be on both of you all. Appreciate it. <laughs> And just just a little background to start us off. Did you guys work together at any point or just kind of knew each other afterward? We'd never worked together. I left Schnucks before Mike Tipton came. And actually, I met Mike Tipton when he was with KVAT. I was working with him on the mushroom side. So uh, we never worked together. But we do now. We're, you know, we've become good friends. Mike Tipton is one of the genuinely nice people in the industry. I, I, I believe that. He's, he's a really good guy. Well, I appreciate that, Mike. Back to you as well. I tell you, uh, what a little bit of time I got to spend with you before I got in this role when you were at KVAT and, and on mushrooms. But then I've always looked up to Mike O'Brien and, and what and what the Schnook team has done here, and uh, and and it really inspired me throughout my years. So I appreciate that. That's awesome. Well, I I think the uh, what I had the idea for kind of us to have this conversation together, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I thought I saw the two of you sitting together in one of the exchange sessions at the retail conference. And I thought, oh, well, that's cool. (laughs) We did. We spent a lot of time together at the the retail conference. Absolutely. Yep. Awesome. So I thought that could be a fun place to start um, for for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with kind of the the context of the the retail conference. Um, really, kind of just like it sounds, as far as the the layout of the event, um, a lot of folks from the produce industry gathered to talk about all things produce retail. And one of my favorite features is what they call the exchange sessions, where they get and, and again, guys, tell me if my estimate is off, but. 30, 40 people in each room and different kind of topics. Um, a few that that I went to were operational challenges. And then another that was, you know, inflation creating pressure on on volumes that we're seeing. And I think, I think, I know I saw you guys in at least one. Were you guys in those two or did you guys hit some other ones too? Yeah, yeah we were in those two, I think, Mike. And we, me and Mike were very vocal in, in both of them. So Yeah, we were. We, we happened to be in the same sessions both times. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I'd say that's a good a good place to start. So let's let's discuss a little bit what were some of the things that you guys really wanted to to talk about in those places. And then after we cover that, we'll talk about interesting things you heard from other folks in the discussion. So first off, what were some of the things that you were like, oh my gosh, this is the thing that we need to be talking about? <laughs> Are you gonna call on this or should we just jump in? You just jump in. <laughs> Alphabetical order. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, alphabetical order by last name <laughs> or first name. So I'll go first. Uh, for, for me, it was great to get everybody back together again after what we've been through the last couple of years with COVID. And one of the things that I felt at this particular conference and again at the Organic Party Summit that I was just at last week was the industry is ready to get back together and sell produce. But we've all got issues. So, so. What, what I felt here at this conference is, is that 
we want to talk about the issues that we have from a supply side and from a retail side and figure out how we could partner together to get back to selling produce. Uh, because that's really what it's going to take is, is a partnership to get back to selling produce. We've all got our own issues to solve. And how can we partner together to help each other with the issues just to get back to the old-fashioned selling of produce? Yep. Mike's right there. And uh, I totally totally agree with that. And for me, it was, um, you know, it's, it was a lot of thought-provoking, I guess, of being we're all back together again, been really my first time in two and a half years being out and about with everybody and just, uh, you know, just validating some things that, that we're all seeing. Everybody's feeling a lot of pressure and, and a lot and misery loves company when you get together a lot of times. And uh, when you're talking about the things that's going on within the produce industry right now, and not just produce industry, but the state of the state of the economy as a whole. And, and for the, you know, for us in the produce world, you know, seven, you look at it, 70% of our sales are impulse. Right. And so how do we uh, how do we get that uh, extra money that the, the customers have out there? The, uh, the indulged items like, you know, the cherries right now, for example, you know, they're, that's an indulged item. People don't with luxury and it's uh, and it's tough and everybody's feeling that. And just to be in the rooms with everybody and hearing the labor conversations and the and the uh, transportation conversations, there's just a lot of things, a lot of. I won't say tension, but just a, there's just a lot of pressure on everybody. What I felt there at the, at the, uh, at everybody getting together there at the show, and it was just that's it's just tough. It was just it walked away with a lot of validation, and and to Mike's point, how do how does the the supply side and the retail side come together to try to figure out how do we make some of these pressures not be so bad? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've heard the term unprecedented times many many times, and it's a cliche. And it probably is overused, but coming out of COVID and going into this incredible inflation we're having right now, it's hard to separate the two. But really, I mean, cherries is a great example, Mike. And I shop at Schnucksdale, and I look at the promotional price of cherries today, and I think it's like, oh, my God, as an impulse item. And people don't have the disposable income that they, they once had because you've got the inflation and your gas prices are going up and your wages aren't going up as much so cherries. Yeah, compounded by the bad a bad cherry season which drove you know helped drive the price up you know the supply side so and so yeah it's, it's tough it's a tough market out there yeah it's a you get it's a really you got to be it's a lot about value right now you got to be what's what's the value to the consumer right now and how do you get that message across well, and I think that's a that's a great kind of big picture question, Mike, um, thinking about that overall value proposition. So what does that look like as far as the prices? What does that look like as far as customer service? What does that look like as far as the atmosphere of the store, which gets us into the labor side of things, which makes that a little a little uh, trickier? How are you thinking about that combination of things right now? For, for me, it uh, is we are look trying to look at uh, tear everything apart from A to Z and starting from the back room inbound to uh, to the customer experience at the end on what on where can we get more efficient and get better at and uh, break down all the you know break down the things that we never tried you know we haven't tried this stuff before but what can we try try differently to look at to to see if we can help the teams out in the stores because you know the labor and recruiting and retaining is tough. I mean, you know, people have seen what's going on 
in the rest of the world with with jobs and you know flexible scheduling and off holidays and working from home. There's just a lot more out there that's appealing for for people today to look at instead of just uh, you know when the job market's tight, then it's it's easy to get people. But when it's when it's uh, like this, it's you know there's just a lot of different things out there for people to look at and and it's hard. You, they don't, and also the education about working in a, in a grocery store, whether it's working in produce or working in meat or wherever, they, there's a lot of education that uh, people don't understand that there is a career path here. That if you just understand and get in and learn a little bit about it and see how rewarding it can be, you know, it, it, and yeah, you got to catch the produce bug or you got to catch the meat bug like Mike and I did back years ago. <laughs> and, but once you catch it, you know, it's a, uh, gets in your blood, but it's just, it's, to get those people to stay engaged for a time period to catch that and to to have the ones still around that can train and teach and coach and mentor, that's that's what we're missing today. And it's just a, it's a different way of how how your training programs have to come into play now for us to to keep that going. And it's but it's ongo it's an ongoing challenge. I would think, Mike, that the opportunities for career advancement in the supermarket industry is probably better today than it's been in a long time. So if somebody really wants to get in and, and have a career and work hard, you could advance a lot quicker than probably I did in my generation as a boomer. We all had to work hard and we were, were looking for the next job and the next advancement. But today, advancement would be much quicker as long as you're willing to work hard because it is an industry that you have to work hard and work different hours for sure, weekends and sometimes nights and those type of things that comes with the territory. Yep. Your career. You're right. Well, and, and Mike, your, your mention of the, the schedule and then Mike tipped in what you said before on, you know, a lot of people looking for more flexible schedules and some remote options and, and some of the different things. One comment that I remember from one of these exchange sessions was, I think it was from a gentleman who lives in Montreal and had talked about how during the pandemic, certain stores just just cut their hours. They just closed earlier during the week. They were closed on Sunday. And it was very interesting to me because I thought, my gosh, that probably sounds so radical, right? Like that probably sounds like, oh my gosh, how could we close at eight when the store down the street is closed at 10? We would lose business, you know. But it seems like it seems like that even that sort of thing is maybe something that's should could be under consideration. Well, where where do you think, um, you know, where are you guys at as far as considering options? We we did some of that as well. We we went back now post uh, semi COVID. Should I say is uh, we we went back to some little bit longer hours in the stores. But yeah, we got down to some of those eight o'clock, and we and we still have some of the service uh, cases and in the meter in the deli and places that's on some, some contracted uh, hours as well right now, just a lot because of staffing and all too. So it continues to be a challenge and, and, and I, I think it will continue to make us think differently about the hours of operations for the stores. And, and you know, a lot of 24 hour stores have gone away, you know, and so it's a continued, a continued thought process for sure. You know, actually, I know we're focused on, on retail today, but what happens on the supply side impacts retail, and the supply side's having the same issues, getting help. And, for example, in mushroom farms, uh, mushrooms just continue to grow, and we pick mushrooms 
363 days a year. So we have some of the same issues with work schedules. We meet people on Saturdays and Sundays and holidays. We don't pick mushrooms on Christmas and Easter, but we pretty much do every other holiday. So how, it is a challenge for us to change that work schedule too, and the mushrooms won't cooperate. And, and it, as we have a shortage of labor, I, I'm not just focused on mushrooms, it's really the entire, Mike knows this too, uh, it, all of his suppliers are having the same issues. If you can't pick the produce, sometimes you you you, did, you decide to plant what you could pick and there's less produce available, which drives up the retails even more. Or you're looking for different opportunities to cut your costs and, and have cut back in deliveries to the retailer because of the freight costs. And so the whole dynamics of, of, of really the, the business model for produce supply side and retail is, is Really in flux right now. Yeah, and, and to Mike's point, it's it's not going to sit and uh, and be good for weeks and months down the road. It's not like a can of beans. Produce you got to get moving and you got to keep it turning and uh, and to be to be closed a day or to not not harvest a day. You know that just that that product is sitting there and it's and it's not not getting any better by every minute. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and it is. I think it's it's a little terrifying and then fascinating on the other hand, right? That like, I think so many of those, so many of these things that we would consider like unchangeable, this is just how it is. This is how we do it. It seems like a lot of those things are being explored a little more than, than maybe we would have ever thought possible. And, and the one thing that I did, um, that did come to my mind and I thought, well, this seems kind of, you know, kind of optimistic, like sounds like energizing to me is I thought about on the food service side, Chick-fil-A, right? Closed Sunday, never been open on Sunday. And you would think, I think of in my neck of the woods, there's a Taco Bell literally sharing the parking lot with the Chick-fil-A, right? There's all these other options all over the place. And yet I don't think I've gone to the Chick-fil-A when there's not been a line and they did construction on it over the summer, you know, for a couple months so that they could expand the drive-through capability because they have so much business. So it is kind of an interesting time where you think, surely there there are other models that we just have yet to discover that will, you know, just have to be different than what we're doing today, I guess. I'd love to be able to say we could close on Sunday, but to the point we were talking about. I, just park, an example. Park, 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 <laughs> yeah, for, for an example, just park aside what your competitor is going to do down the street. If you If you were able to do that on the fresh side, the amount of shrink you would occur just because of one day of the product not not turning in the stores it's just that's that's the tough one you know even when we're closed on easter and we're closed on you know thanksgiving and on christmas and that one day people don't realize the amount of shrink we occur mm-hmm. just when we get back in there and have to go through the department and get the stuff that's bad out there so. yeah the, the, the friday saturday and sunday after thanksgiving are usually your three highest shrink days of the year yep if you're close on Thanksgiving and you have slow business and you're geared up for that big day. Um, and we used to be closed on Saturday or Sunday, believe it or not, back when I was a kid. But now oh. Sundays, I would bet Mike, Sunday's Mike's biggest day. Yeah, it is definitely one of them, Mike. You're exactly right. Yes. So so what are what are other kind of structural things of grocery as we've known it for the last 30, 40 years that you think could be up in the air, could be changed? with a lot of, of pain and effort probably, but that might be a little more movable. I don't know. Well, 
as we continue to move, as consumers continue to do more online shopping, you know, that's, um, that's where we continue to see some things go. And that's our, our impulse sales on the produce side. We, we lose that. And, um, we don't get that extra sale from a customer that would come in and shop with us. And that's one of the things that's going to continue to move. I don't, and we, much as I'd like to change that and bring that back in the store, that's not going to happen. You know, we've got people continue to, to go that route and, and how do you entice customers online to buy more and, you know, and how do you get the message of your freshness and your quality over to them? And that's tough. So. Yeah. And I know there's automation going on in the front end, but I don't, the stocking of produce. Plus, I've always thought that produce is a service department, not just like the center store. You put it out there and it sells because people have it on their shopping list. You need somebody out there that knows the business and can talk to the customers. But that's somewhat of a lost art because the challenge of hiring and, and keeping people in the business and, and the younger generation not connecting with uh, produce like we did. Um, it's a big challenge for my yeah, and I, I look, I, I think uh, a lot about uh, what's the next evolution of the produce department. What does it look like? And, and you know, RPCs is, is one, but what's the next evolution beyond that? You know, I, I walk up and down the center store aisles and try to get some inspiration and, and think of, okay, what simplifies the process? And I see the Campbell soup, the Campbell's soup display just intrigues me when you think about how you stock that and you stock, stock it up in the top and it rolls down through and you're always going to have the rotation correctly. Right. And you're all, and you're never going to, it's always going to be look full and consistent and you know, it don't look like nothing's out of place. So how, where is somewhere like that for produce down the way? You know, how do we stock it from the, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if we'll see it in my amount of your lifetime, Mike, but uh, there's going to be, there's going to be some, some new automation coming out there for the way you merchandise the produce department. Because there's no choice. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You're, you're, to your point, to have somebody out there to be able to talk to the customers and all, two, two things. One, it's hard to get that person trained and be able to support that person being out there. Plus, the consumer, they don't want to hardly take the time to stop and engage. No, they're, they've got family and things to get home to, and they're, they're on a mission. So they're in there to get them grapes and berries and get out. Their engagement now is on their phone. So that might be the answer is for us to move on and think about how the consumer today resonates and it maybe on social media, maybe on their phone and their computer and, and online. So we have to figure out to Mike's point is, is how do we get that impulse sale online? Um, artificial intelligence is, is what I think needs to happen. This is there's, there's models out there that Amazon has because Amazon sells because they know you, the, the artificial intelligence knows your purchase habits. And if we can bring that to online purchases for, for food and for produce, I think that might be an answer. Well, and to that, and to that Mike, your point there, it also, um, it, it limits the liability of the markdown when you can stealth market to individual consumers that are either you're trying to, to get engaged into a, to buy mushrooms as an example, that never have bought mushrooms mm-hmm. or, or to reward the customers that are buying the mushrooms from you today so that's still in it so you don't have to take the whole markdown of the whole selling it to everybody you can stealth market that way and and incentivize or try to gain and reward so what we have to do is we have to get out of our this is the way as always was 
this is the way it has to still be mindset and move on to this is how it can be in the future. We have to reinvent ourselves somewhat. somewhat. It's a scary to jump off that diving board, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I don't want to mess up the sales or mess up. My, <laughs> ain't going to make the rate. Ain't going to make the plan, right? That's right. <laughs> you have to go to that P&L review and report. <laughs> Those <are> fun times. <laughs> Well, and it's very interesting when you mention kind of moving from the, the the traditional way of doing things to what we think is coming down the road, because I think of like, um, like the cable business and streaming services, right? And you have all these, you know, big, big TV providers, you think Disney and well, ESPN part of Disney, and they're trying to figure out, you know, how to bring people onto these streaming platforms, but still support their legacy networks and the thing that's actually bringing in most of the dollars still today. And how much do you drive people to the one channel versus the other? When do you pull the trigger on kind of transitioning more of those resources to one versus the other? Um, Seems like grocery is sort of in a similar, um, not probably as far along, I think, in that continuum but kind of a similar deal where you're trying to figure out how do we have these two business models, support them both, um, still take care of the one that brings in the majority of the dollars, right? Uh, it's an interesting time. Well, it's, the, the weekly ad is the, is spot on with that. You know, the weekly ad versus going to digital and not printing a weekly ad anymore and doing marketing right to individual consumers. It's, you know, it's, that's, that'll be the next, the next thing to go and, the grocery store eventually the weekly ads but but it takes one one it takes one uh, big big company to jump may take that jump and leap and i know some in the past some people have some companies have tried that and tried to cut it out and and realize they had to go back to it but uh it's maybe the time wasn't right then and as we get as more people get on the platform it's the time will come mm-hmm. well and i wonder too because you mentioned the the impulse sales part of it and that being such a big part of the traditional business model. And how do you still get that in the store with, you know, presentation helps with that and you have to have labor generally, you know, to, to have really great presentation. And something did occur to me thinking about even kind of like an omni-channel experience in the store. Like, Mike, I was I was doing a little research before we hopped on today, and I think I found a, a video of you talking about how to pick a peach that was on the Schnooks YouTube channel. <laughs> and it had like 5,000 views or something, which I thought was pretty impressive. And I thought, you know, whether that's on the website, whether that's on, you know, an iPad that's next to the peach display, you know, or a screen in store or something like that, you think about how you can meld some of those things together and, you know, that way, maybe even if you have the, the RPC peach display or whatever that future iteration looks like, you have a little more personality still, a little bit more to catch the eye. You know, you can see where some of those things may may coalesce as we go along. Yep, very true. And, uh, yeah, they've got me to do peaches and then corn and some other things. So I've, I've, I've had to do a few of those here in the last few, few months. But, yeah, it's uh, you're, yeah, you're right there when, when you can – we're seeing a lot – more engagement on those type of of uh, post than we used to, for sure. And just simply because there is more, you know, our our app within Side Schnooks has grown and got more engagement on. And you know, granted, we don't have fuel rewards, but we have rewards to incentivize consumers in other ways. And uh, so, it, but to your point, you that's where it's that's where it's headed, and that the engagement's coming. It's growing. 
we try to put links like on there, you know, to get, you know, to, for suppliers as well, too, to, to help the consumers to understand and to get educated about it. But, you know, it's just hard to, for them to stop to have that time to do that kind of thing too, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing because that's kind of another whole element. And Mike, you can speak to this on the supplier side too, but like the, the like enhanced marketing responsibility, I think that comes with kind of how, how these, how this format is changing. Like that's a whole other kind of set of jobs and things to maintain and things to try and have a really good strategy behind too. Right. I think, I think that really the marketing has changed too. And uh, really a lot of it's around social media and working with our customers on things like Mike's talking about is, is a way to get to the customer, a new customer that really, again, engages. That's how, so how that, the, the millennials, we always talk about the millennials, right? That's how that millennial likes to engage. And so we need to be part of that. And we've done a lot of, of, of that type of thing. And, you know, again, it's time to get back to a lot of the things because what really went by the wayside during COVID was marketing. Let's get back to marketing and get back to selling produce in a new world, in a new world that has extremely high retails. And, and, and Mike, I, 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 I did all that when it comes to getting back to the basics on things when on the, inside the store in the produce department during COVID, it was all you could do just to keep the product on the shelf because customer was, buy, was buying it so fast. You know, we're now where the, all the restaurants are opening back up and everything's getting and the supply is getting plus the supply uh, chain is getting filled back up on all the items. You know, like we had a shortage on salads and all you could keep salads on the shelf. Well, now you got all the varieties on the shelf. And then, so now you got to start managing that inventory again correctly or the shrink is going to go up. So, Mike's point on getting back to the basics, even in even in the produce department, is 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 uh, is what my my team is uh, trying to focus a lot on right now. It's because they just took the right, you know, you get so complacent about just piling it out and putting it out that <laughs> that you not to worry about it. Well, now you got to get back to uh, focusing on the basics of the business and keeping it fresh and getting the quality for the customers. And, and I would imagine, Mike, it's during COVID there wasn't much promotion that you even needed. Nope, exactly. So then I was trying to get back to promotion, but your challenge is, is the consumer mindset of what is a, a promotion, promotable retail has changed too because they're like, hey, this isn't a good deal. Well, it actually it really is. is a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. You're exactly right. Yeah, that's what makes it tough right now. I mean, that's what we're grappling with too is, is from, from a mushroom standpoint, we watch the IRI, IRI data. We watch our internal data and trying to figure out where is mushroom consumption going to go when the disposable income for the consumer has changed and what are they going to give up? Are they going to downsize? Are they going to go from 16 ounce to eight ounce? Are they going to stop buying mushrooms completely? Um, or are they going to continue to buy mushrooms because they love mushrooms and, and they're going to make that conscious choice that, I'm still going to buy mushrooms. And none of us really know where that's going to go, but it's re we know retails are going up, those costs are going up. So uh, we had some conversations at, at the uh, conference also about a lot of center store is using shrinkflation. So you talk about, talk about the cherry category, for example, with a short crop and, and higher freight costs and, and higher promotional retail that the consumer says, well, this isn't a great deal, but yet it's out there in the big bag is... 
same thing with mushrooms. We do we start pushing eight ounce rather than sixteen ounce when we've worked so hard to get the consumer to move it's up right from eight ounce to sixteen ounce. That's what we've done with with the, every category, in particular strawberries, mushrooms, etc. So we take a step back and we focus on that and work through it and, and continue to grow produce consumption because that's what we really want to do. That's what we're all about. So nobody really knows the right answer. We're all trying to figure that out. Yeah, and and that's that that's part of that that meeting where we're at trying to come together and figure all that out is, you know, when you look at uh, added onto that is the price points. When, when you take a, say a mushroom and you hit that two ninety nine price point and then the, the cost is going up because of freight and fuel and all, and you need to go over that $3 mark. Well, guess what? You're going to cut the movement down, you know, 20% probably when you cross that, that dollar threshold barrier barrier. So to Mike's point, does it go, does a 16 ounce go to a, a 14 ounce and so we can keep that 299 retail you know that's that's the things we have to work together to figure out then we can't just go to i can't just go to to a monterey and say hey mike i want you to get me a 14 ounce mushroom you can't stop the line just for me you know you gotta you, know, you gotta figure out does that make sense for the whole total yeah you know, it is is it the right long-term thing to do because right now we're in a short we want to sell more mushrooms <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll end up selling less mushrooms yeah we want to sell more mushrooms so is it the right thing to do? We know, we know they do it in cereal, and we know they've done it in ice cream. But is it the right thing to do in produce? I don't think it is. I totally agree with you, Mike. I, I, that's, I don't know if we're old school, and we just can't we can't stop that mindset. And we got to sell it, sell it, sell it, sell all you can sell. But yeah, that's tough. Well, and how how good is the data that's available out there as far as like? demand elasticity for different items and understanding of like, what is that price point where, you know, volume is going to fall off the cliff if you go beyond a certain threshold. Yeah. And, and we've done a lot of research on that and, and we don't really know the answer. We always, the research has shown in the past that mushrooms are really inelastic. Nothing's totally inelastic, but it's, it's not as it's, it's somewhat inelastic. Uh, but still, consumers are making choices because they just don't have as much money. So it's not necessarily the price point. Is is mushrooms part of what you're going to spend your disposable income on? As you know, you have to spend it on gas. And then the other thing that, that impacts all of us, Mike and myself, is is, are, is the consumer going to make choices on how many times a week they're going to shop because of the gas? Where they're going to shop? Are they going to shop closer to the home? Um, that could be good or that could be bad. But we don't know. So, so really, again, it is unprecedented times. So we'll look back. I can tell you what. Two years from now, we'll tell you exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's that's another kind of big picture question, right? Is how you know the the pandemic was was one thing. This this crazy inflation situation is another thing. We know that. Most likely, Lord willing, these are temporary, you know, relatively temporary situations. The bigger trends, you know, we we can see a little more clearly. How do you go about kind of making decisions to get through what's right now? And like like Mike alluded to, the PL report that you have coming up, but still keep that long term in mind with being in a really different time right now. Yeah, it's hard because you have to figure out how to do both. Because your period P&L and your profitability house, it's, it's not necessarily survival, but you need that to actually pivot to the future because you, you need to continue to be profitable. 
but you don't want to sacrifice the future for today either. So it's a constant conversation at every business today. And it's, and it changes every, every meeting, every meeting you go to, you're, you're, you think you, you got to plan what you're going to do going forward. And then you get through the next week or the next period and you look back and you think, Oh, wow, we need to change some other things too. So it's just a con right now. It's just a constant change. There, there is, there's nothing staying the same right now. And the good, the, the strong businesses are willing to do that, to, to adjust and make a change. Because if you don't, the, those are the companies that aren't going to survive. If you're not willing to make any changes, and this is, uh, this is going to be just uh, fine. We're going to be okay. And uh, that's that's probably pretty dangerous, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are what are a few things that were the norm before COVID that you think are are not coming back? to the way they were before. It's not coming back. You're talking about COVID or, or inflation too? Well, <laughs> I'll pick your poison, Mike. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, well, I, I think uh, the biggest challenges that has really, as COVID brought on is the labor factor. Before COVID, yes, we had we, we, were, we were challenged with labor, but, but COVID has accelerated that, it seems like, dramatically on the labor piece. Um, we would, you know, we'd, we'd have a few opening positions. We, we have a few, we still have a bunch of open positions before COVID, but now the amount of openings we have to fill is, is a lot, it's compounded. So I don't, I don't know if we're ever going to be able to get back to those levels before that without changing our model of the way we do, way we stock produce and put it out and all today. So, uh, and that's a more longer term, uh, something to figure out. And, it's, and it can't be just on, I can't just figure that out. I've got to have a war room of my mics um, from the supply side and other retailers. We just got to, we got to, it's, Oh, it's it's uh it's going to be a change to the whole produce uh, way of doing business. I think as we move forward. Yeah, I agree. I think labor was bad before COVID, and then there was a certain sense of once we get past COVID, everything's going to be fine. We're going to be fine in labor. Well, it wasn't good before, and it's worse now. And I think it's going to stay a challenge for us. So we need to change how we pack and pick mushrooms and, and, and it's not going to be with people. It's going to be with automation. That's the entire produce industry and the supply side has to figure out how to, how to grow and pack and pick produce without people. Not that you're replacing people because they're not there. So we need to figure out how to do that. And it's, it's being done in the supply side. It's more difficult. I think other than maybe in the distribution centers, Mike, but, at the store, because we're so used to providing a certain experience for the consumer, um, there I don't I don't really know what the supermarket of the future is going to look like without people. Yeah, fish and fish in the produce. It's easy to say that what it won't look like in center store, but for fresh, it's hard to figure out how you do it without people, you know, right. to get, to get the fresh experience. But I still look at that Campbell soup model and see how them cans roll down. <laughs> you know, I can see an apple coming down. There's your fresh gala apple pick up. Pick up. <laughs> no, so, and and you and communicate the message right above that about the apples. I, I, yeah. Who knows? Well, 
And you do think about the kind of the little incremental things that have happened, like the um, the self-facing shelves or whatever, right? That kind of push things forward. So you keep that full look without somebody having to go along and pull everything forward constantly. So we've seen incremental things in that direction, but obviously that same thing isn't going to work for everything, but there's going to have to be more stuff like that, I would think. We've got a we've got everything possible right now within pushers and, and gravity feed shelves that we can get in the department today. And, and, but it doesn't work on the bulk site. Yeah. Or even on mushrooms, you don't like to push bruise mushrooms and push them forward, you know? And mm-hmm. so. the bulk versus the package is a challenge for that. But as Mike said, is bulk doesn't work very well. And so we don't want to go to package for all produce because that causes other kinds of sustainability issues. And, um, so it's not just about Mike and I being old school. We like the bulk and the way it looks, but there's other complications to the packaging too. Is uh, do you want biodegradable tills? Do you want uh, recyclable? Um, do you want more plastic in the landfill? And how, do, how does this all work? Mm-hmm. So we've got a lot of constant pressures coming at us um, from different sides because the sustainability works against the inflation and the cost because it's a lot more expensive to provide biodegradable tills than the returnable or the um, RPET tills. Um, and that raises prices even more um, to get rid of the bulk and to go to package creates other issues. So um, there's a lot of different things right now that, that we're all dealing with in the produce industry that mm-hmm. we don't have the answers for. Mm-hmm. Well, and all, I mean, obviously we could go on and on about this, but I'll, I'll let you guys go after just one more question, which is on the, on the labor side, because it is such a huge topic. How much do you think of the solution here ultimately is going to be on the operational side? And how much do you think will be kind of a massive, and I, Mike, I think you might have alluded to this, like a massive HR effort in terms of training, in terms of telling the story of how, like, hey, this can really be a, a path that you can get on and advance in a lot quicker than you probably could in a lot of other industries without necessarily the giant college debt that a lot of people find themselves with now. You know, there can really be a lot of advantages how much you think is all those operational things that we have yet to figure out and how much you think is really investing on that HR and training, um, that kind of side of it. So I think it's a little of both, Ashley. I think um, when you think about the HR piece of it, you know, working in a grocery store, I don't think uh, Mike O'Brien nor myself, I can say has never been laid off. <laughs> you know, we've never had to worry about being out of work. And a lot of people, you know, out working construction, you know, either laid off or they have to work in the bad weather. And a lot of people don't think about that. But if they, it's, uh, you never have to work in cold weather or very hot weather. And we work inside a grocery store as an example. And how do we educate and use that as one of the one of the levers for HR to pull? And then, and then on the operational side, how how do we make the job more appetizing for the hours and for the stress levels of you know, running a produce department and the ordering and understanding, imagine and managing the P&L with the educational and coaching piece that probably still has to come back from HR too. But so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a push and pull from both of those areas, I think, in order to make that and get that labor message across. Yeah, I agree with Mike, Ashley. You're never going to be without any people whether you're a supermarket or suppliers. And so the HR department becomes extremely important in recruiting and retention. And the retention, a lot of it comes to the training of the middle managers. 
because, and I'm not speaking for, for Mike and the retail side, but I, I'm thinking in a lot of businesses, uh, we experience a lot more turnover than we would like to because there was so much stress during COVID. There was so much short, there was shortage of people, which probably caused it to make it even worse uh, because you're, people weren't happy. They're working too many hours. And then you bring in new people and they see everybody's unhappy, happy, so they leave. So the, part of the key is, is training our middle managers on how to manage and lead people to help with your retention of the people you have, because you don't want to make it any worse. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and particularly thinking about produce managers, I, I'm always kind of wowed when I really step back and look at the job description, because you have so many different components that don't necessarily translate one to the next. You know, you have the merchandising side, you've got the business side of it, you got the customer service side of it. And people management is a whole nother thing. So, you know, you may have someone who's fantastic in merchandising and they get promoted to produce manager that they haven't managed a team they don't have training in that right so the good thing is there's lots of opportunity i think then of course there's the the putting all the structures in place to to try and make that happen and going through all the the growing pains and that sort of thing it's a whole lot easier to teach and train somebody how to work produce and manage produce versus trying to teach somebody how to be a people person you can, if you're a people person, you can get your team to to execute and do what you need to do. And uh, but if, you, um, but that's tough if you're not. Yeah, for sure. And it's hard to find those people, yeah. you know, because everybody's so engaged in their own little world, you know, on the phones, and they don't, you know, it's hard to mm-hmm. find the people, the people mentality like we used to. And just because they're the best worker doesn't mean they're going to make the best manager. Mm-hmm. If they don't have that skill, your challenge is like like we always said is is who do you want leading your accounting department, the best accountant or the best leader? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. Yep. Goodness. Well, again, I know we could talk about this forever, but I don't want to keep you guys too far past the time that uh, whatever the time was that I had allotted here for us. Thank you guys so much for joining it. It's been such a great conversation, and I really appreciate you all taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you, Lynn. Ashley. Good to see you again, Mike. Good to see you all. I have to run up to Snooks and buy my lunch now. All right. Get you some mushrooms, too. (laughs) Excellent. Well, guys, we'll wrap it up with that. I also want to thank our listeners, of course, and send folks over to the archive to see some of our other recent episodes. Uh, A few of the other folks we've had on recently include Mike Roberts with Harps Food Stores, Kevin Byers with PCC Community Markets, Mark Kruczynski with Garrity's, and many other awesome produce retail people. Thank you all again, and we'll see you next time on the Produce Retail Podcast.